You are listening to episode 23 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 53, 10-volt system, February 6th, 2373. We were five days out of 10-volt before I got a chance for a quiet conversation with Ms. Maloney. Once we got into the routine without having any passengers aboard, she'd taken to riding along on the bridge after cleaning up the lunch mess. The open ports in the galley gave her a view, but I think she just enjoyed the company. Most days she just read or looked out the armor glass. At one point I thought she was studying, but she didn't volunteer, and I didn't pry. She seldom said much, so when she opened the conversation I was a bit surprised. I guess the torrid affair is off then, Captain? she asked. It took me a few heartbeats to catch up with her, unless there's more than we can account for with a bit of carelessness on the part of our junior crewman. Nothing I've seen, she said. Obviously somebody got wise to my presence aboard back on Welliver. Probably, Miss Maloney, but other than a bit of gossipy reporting, there's nothing much of substance as far as I can see. She pursed her lips for a moment before responding. I agree, Captain. I'm relieved there isn't a spy on board, but I'm embarrassed to have been so adamant to begin with. It's an issue of perspective. When you expect trouble all the time, it begins to color your world. I had a problem like that with Miss Arione back in the beginning. Just because I'm paranoid? She began the old chestnut with a grin. It's true, Miss Maloney. It's very true. We sailed along in silence for a time. With the astrogation updates done, there was little to occupy me on the way out of Tenvolt. Once we jumped, I'd have access to the Diurnia markets, and I could begin looking for outbound cargoes. I had to admit the pace was faster than I was used to. Not only were we getting to port sooner, the speed of transit meant I had less time to find cargoes. So what do you think, Captain, about the iris? She broke the silence again. I think it's an intriguing design, Miss Maloney. It's obviously designed to carry passengers more than freight, and that limited hold space means the Burleson drives are always working on an ideal mass. That's what gives us such long legs. Andy Lehman thought you should look into chartering long-term. It would have to be a lucrative contract. We're going to earn a nice bonus going into Diurnia with all these small cargoes, but I still don't know how I'm going to pay that note off. All I can hope is that Mr. Simpson has wrangled an investor to take one of the remaining shares so I can sink it. When I was small, before it became gauche to talk about the company at dinner, Father used to talk about the cash flow problems with ships. She smiled out into the deep dark. The ships cost so much to buy, the barriers to entry are horrendous. If you can buy one without having to incur too much debt in the process, you can make a nice living. And there are apparently some accounting tricks with depreciation and taxes that I never understood. She gave a low laugh. He used to say, you could make a good living going broke every year. The comment caught me off guard and I laughed. That's probably true. If I owned the ship outright, the depreciation expense would chew up paper profits rather quickly. You sound like him, Captain. She turned her head away and looked back out of the armor glass. He loved it out here, you know. I never really understood why. But then, I never saw it like this before. And the Iris is a special ship. I really don't know why this hull didn't catch on. Just the ability to cover the whole quadrant in a single jump makes a huge difference. And for passengers? The ability to lay in your bunk and watch the universe sail by? Other than it being expensive, who wouldn't want to do that? I could see her nodding. Very true. She turned back to me as a sudden thought struck her and grinned wickedly. Oh, my. What, Miss Maloney? I just thought of a very special market niche that this ship would be perfect for, Captain. 
The expression on her face said she had something in mind, but I couldn't guess what it was. The honeymoon trade, Sar. I could see one of her eyebrows arch in the dimness. Oh my, indeed, Miss Maloney. I started to laugh, but she was right. Love among the stars, eh? Well, at least passion, Captain. Don't sell it short. She grinned at me and then turned to look back out with a languid sigh. I knew she was twitting me, but somehow I didn't mind. The air quality sensors pinged an amber warning, and I focused on my console, bringing up the environmental system. The display showed a routine warning about the oxygen-carbon dioxide mix in the air. Odd, I muttered. What is it, Captain? At the moment it's nothing, Miss Maloney, an uptick in the CO2 mixture. What causes that, sir? Scrubbers need their filters replaced, probably. Didn't you just do that on ten volts, sir? Yes, I did, and I asked the chief to double-check my work to make sure I'd done it correctly. I looked at the calendar. It's been about the right amount of time that the other half of the filters are probably due for replacement. I fired off a message to Chief Bailey, noting the discrepancy and asking him to check it out. Is it serious, Captain? No, Ms. Maloney, we've got spares. With only the five of us aboard, there should be enough excess capacity in the system to make diurnia, even if we didn't have a single one. Normally, we kept the engineering console on the bridge secured when underway. The pilot's console had everything the bridge watch needed. I only fired it up for docking maneuvers so I could deal with the locks and docking clamps. The pilot's console displayed simplified versions of the full engineering data, so I slipped out of the pilot's chair and into the engineer's to fire up the full display. Bringing up environmental history, I saw the spike and subsequent correction from 10 volt. The mixtures got back to normal relatively quickly, but after dropping down to mid-range normal, they'd been ticking up ever so gently ever since. Yes, filters need replacement to get us back on cycle, I said. Ms. Maloney's concerned expression relaxed a trifle. I'm not sure mine did. You don't look happy, sir. I need to work on my poker face, Ms. Maloney. Care to share, sir? I sat back in the chair and regarded her lovely. Normally I'd tell a quarter share to tender knitting, but since we share responsibility in this case, I suppose it's only right we should have a frank discussion about our mutual employee. The chief, she sighed. What's going on, Captain? I don't know what kind of bodyguard he is, but as an engineering officer, he leaves a lot to be desired. She swiveled her seat to face me. Are you at liberty to explain, sir? I've given him any number of tasks to do that he just hasn't seen fit to accomplish. The scrubber thing is only the latest. I crossed my arms to keep from pounding the console in frustration. He's had a punch list of small repairs since he came aboard, and most of them are still not done. If I had a screwdriver, I could do them myself. But that's what the engineering division is for. This might sound trite and obvious, sir, but does he know he's supposed to be doing this? I took a deep breath and blew it out. Good question, Ms. Maloney. I would expect that a chief engineering officer would know his job, but perhaps there are issues here that need addressing. You've talked to him, I take it. Yes, I have, and maybe it's time I talk to him again. There's one point I should probably clarify for you, Captain. He doesn't work for me. Really? Who does he work for? DST pays his salary. They've paid for my security since I got out of college. That's how Andy knows Chief Bailey? Did he go with you on your E&D missions? She laughed and shook her head. No, but he sometimes met me at the lock when we came back into Confederation space. Why him? She cocked her head. Why whom? Chief Bailey? And if I'm not mistaken, Miss Kingsley has Adrian Alvarez. You have a good memory for bodyguards, Captain. I knew an Alvarez once. She made quite an impression. 
The dim lights in the bridge didn't hide her smirk. I can see that, but what's your point? You're an easy target, Ms. Maloney, unless he follows you into the head. Seems like it would make more sense for you to have a woman bodyguard. She laughed. I see your point, but it's never been an issue. What about you and Ms. Arione? Has it been a problem? Only when I tried on clothes back in Diurnia. She sat up straight and looked at me, her smirk growing broader. My captain, I thought you had a policy. She stood outside the door of the changing room, if you must know. What policy? The one about not sleeping with the crew. Ah, Ms. Arione has been indoctrinating you, I see. She shrugged and gave a little nod. It is her job, isn't it, to help the lowly quarter share over the threshold to productive life aboard? Ms. Maloney, you are without a doubt the least lowly quarter share I've ever seen. Why, Captain, is that a compliment? Yes, Ms. Maloney, it is. Then thank you, sir. You're very welcome, Miss Maloney. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 54, Diurnia Orbital. February 15, 2373. The only thing noteworthy about the run back to Diurnia was the speed with which we accomplished it. Running light meant running fast, and we even jumped 2% long into the sector, carving most of a day off the run in. Bending space was far from an exact science, so it was normal to jump a bit long or short in every jump. Because of that, I always plotted a bit short, aiming to come in well outside the Burleson limit. I really didn't want to try to jump too far into the gravity well. On that very short ride in, I snagged a nice 100Q priority heading for Greenfields and immediately posted the ship's itinerary for passengers wanting to go in that direction. At Ms. Maloney's suggestion, I posted it at 15 kilocreds with a departure date of February 18th and an estimated arrival of March 5th. As Ms. Maloney pointed out, that was two weeks earlier than the next posted fare to Greenfields. I pointed out that it was also almost twice as expensive as the next cheapest fare. Ms. Maloney responded with a knowing smile. She was right. By the time we got to port, we had three passengers lined up to take the ride with us, two traveling together and a single. 
Our first full day in port, I held an impromptu crew meeting over breakfast. Before I grant liberty, I looked at Mr. Herring, since he was likely to be the only person spending much time ashore. He grinned back, and I had to wonder if the lad was just naturally incurious, or if he only really lived for his portside debauchery, and being aboard, merely a convenient way for him to rest between bouts. We need to be aware that in a couple of days we'll have passengers aboard. We need to call Miss Maitland, I nodded to her, by her proper name. We probably should have been practicing all the way in, but that's wind through the sail now. I looked around and got nods from everybody. Chief, I need you to check the spares and make sure they're full. I also need you to work on that punch list, particularly the items in compartment C. I'll be inspecting before we bring the guests aboard, and I'll take it personally if I have to ask you to fix something that a passenger reports. Oh, aye, Cap, I can see that. Yes, sir. We'll be ship-shaped by the time they get here. See if we ain't. Ms. Maitland, I emphasized the name as much for my own benefit as reminder, in addition to the supplies for the galley, would you look over the entertainment library available at the chandlery? See what you can do to come up with some films or other programs that a passenger might enjoy. Ms. Arione brightened. Can I help, sir? I looked to Ms. Maloney, who shrugged. Of course, Ms. Arione. What about me, sir? Mr. Herring asked, looking almost afraid that I'd have a task for him. Mr. Herring, I need you to clean up your quarters before you go ashore. Some of the items on the chief's punch list are in that compartment, and he'll need clear access. He looked relieved. Is that all, sir? Not quite, Mr. Herring. Please be careful ashore. The Newsies would love to know more about what's happening here with us, and you're an easy target for them. Be aware that anybody who buys you a drink probably wants more than your body in return. He gave me one of those looks that very plainly said, I can't believe you just said that. What he actually uttered was, Yes, sir. Last on my agenda, thanks for another successful voyage. The cargo handlers will be here shortly to strip out these shipments and make room for the next. Our passengers are due to arrive in the morning on the 18th, and I'm planning to get out of here in the afternoon. Are there any questions? I looked around the table to get a series of shrugs and shakes. Liberty, sir? Mr. Herring said in a small, coaxing voice. I'll inspect your compartment when you're ready, Mr. Herring. Liberty will be contingent on your passing that inspection. He frowned and started to say something, but thought better of it. Yes, sir. Why don't you go do that now, Mr. Herring? I suggested with a smile. His eye eye sar hung in the air for a few heartbeats after he'd already exited the galley. Ms. Maloney stifled a laugh in her mug, and even Ms. Arione looked amused. The chief just drank his coffee and looked about blandly. Well, then, I said, rising and stacking my dishes. Time for me to get busy, too. I grabbed a refill and headed for the cabin to set up a query for new cargo to Greenfields and to check my messages. We still had room for a couple more passengers, but I held little hope that we'd get any. As I left the galley, Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arione fired up the console to begin looking for entertainment programming, and the chief pulled out his tablet. I hoped he was looking for the punch list because I was getting a little aggravated by his consistent lack of attention to the details of his job. The day proceeded at a breakneck pace, but for once nothing broke. The cargo handlers showed up right on time and stripped out the cargo, leaving us empty and ready for the next load. I managed to get my paperwork cleared up, filled out the captain's log, and even started the next round of astrogation updates. Mid-afternoon brought a delivery for Ms. Maloney, and she and Miss Arione wrestled it into storage. I made a written note to speak to Mr. Herring when he returned. An able spacer rating appeared on his file, but as long as he left the work to others, he'd stay ordinary on our rolls. Near the end of the day, it finally occurred to me to make an appointment with Mr. Simpson to find out where we stood on finding a new investor. His office returned the query with regrets. 
Mr. Simpson was off station and not expected to return until the 22nd. Just before 1600, I snagged another 40 cubes of cargo for Greenfields, giving us enough cargo revenue to cover the cost of the voyage with a nice bit of profit to share from the passenger fares. As I sat back and admired my accomplishment for the day, I heard a soft knock on the cabin door. I looked up to see Ms. Maloney in the doorframe with Chief Bailey standing behind her. Yes, come in, I offered. Ms. Maloney shook her head. I just wanted to see if it would be okay for me to spend the night in my apartment here, Captain. It's been a while since I've slept in my own bed, and I'd like to make sure things are okay there. She indicated the chief with a nod of her head. The chief will escort me out and back. He's got his own business to attend to here tonight, if that's all right. I'd forgotten that this was home port for them, or at least one of them. I looked over her shoulder at the chief. How are you doing on that punch list, chief? Oh, right well, Cap, right well. Went through all the items pegged in the passenger compartments over the course of the day. I certainly did. Have to order some more lighting panels. We ran out before I finished in compartment B, we did. But I ordered some extras. They'll be here tomorrow. See if they ain't. Thank you, Chief. That'll make life much nicer for our guests. I turned to Miss Maloney. I've no objections, Miss Maitland. Thank you for checking with me. I can come back to fix breakfast in the morning, Captain. She let the offer hang open, but I shook my head. That's not necessary, Miss Maitland. I think Miss Arioni and I will go visit my father for breakfast. We still have a lot of catching up to do. She smiled and led the chief down the ladder and off the ship. I felt relieved that Chief Bailey seemed to be getting his act together. For several moments I sat there, staring at my console and wondering what to do next. I stood and went out to the galley. I wasn't sure I wanted more coffee, but the moving around seemed to help my thinking. I found Miss Arioni at the table, watching a movie on the panel. She punched a button on the remote and froze the screen. I recognized the scene. You found a copy of the poppy field, I see. She grinned. Ms. Ma uh, Ms. Maitland and I found a deal on a whole collection of classic films. This was one of them. I laughed. You've seen that film, what, hundreds of times? It always makes you cry, Miss Arione. Why do you watch it? She looked at me like I was completely clueless. Because it always makes me cry, of course, sir. She waved her handkerchief at me. I'm ready, see? I don't know about you, Miss Arione. She stuck her tongue out and shifted gears. Is it just us tonight, Skipper? Just like old times, Miss Arione. You feel like going ashore? She considered it through one long, slow breath. Not particularly, sir. Not tonight. You? I'm in for the night, I think. I'd like to go to Overeasy for breakfast and visit my father, though. That sounds like a plan, sir. What do we do for dinner? I looked in the ready cooler and saw that Miss Maloney had left plenty of choices. Well, I think we'll find something. I'm not surprised, Skipper. She paused for a few heartbeats before continuing. She's not exactly what I expected, though. You know, sir? I know, Miss Arione. I closed the cooler and crossed back to sit at the table. She seems to be adjusting well, as far as I can see. How is she as a bunkie? She laughed softly. She snores. Not as bad as Gutshot used to back in the Agamemnon, sir, but she snores. You two seem to be hitting it off. Princess and the pomper at times, sire, but she's really down to earth. When we went to get her stuff in Welliver, she has a classy apartment. She fanned herself with an open hand, very ritz, but simple and clean, you know. i never seen anything like it, but we sat and chatted a bit, put our feet on the furniture, just like real people do. It was strange, but kind of nice. I can imagine, I paused before asking. So, when you two went out, what did you do? Or shouldn't I ask? We went out dancing flirted a little. But funny thing, almost nobody came near her. I had more guys come up to me than she did. It was weird, you know, sir? She looked at me with a curious light in her eyes. 
I thought we'd go out and the guys would be walking over me to get to her. She shook her head. But they didn't. They noticed her all right. But when somebody came to the table, it was always to ask me to dance, not her. I bet a lot of guys find her quite intimidating, Miss Arione. She has something, an aura or something. I felt kind of bad for her in a way, sir. Why's that, Miss Arione? She seems kind of lonely to me. I suspect she is, Miss Arione. It can't have been easy growing up with a target painted on your forehead. She snorted a bitter laugh. Well, that part I can relate to, Skipper. I know you can, Miss Arione. So how are you doing? I'm doing okay, sir. She sounded almost surprised. You spend a lot of time aboard. Does it bother you? I'm doing what I want to do, sir. There aren't that many Ables that get to do that. Oh, glamorous duty like stocking galley supplies? I asked with a teasing grin. She laughed at that. Well, Skipper, it's not all exciting, I admit, but I get to hang out with you and Ms. Mal uh, Ms. Maitland all the time. And I eat good. Not many able spacers get dinner paid for by the captain every time they go ashore. She grinned at me. I suppose not, Miss Arione. I looked around the galley, admiring the changes we'd made. Is there anything you'd like to see? Any changes that would make the ship better? Make your life better? She pondered it and then grinned. I don't suppose we could get a hot tub. She blindsided me with that and a laugh barked out of me. Where would we put it, Miss Arione? I don't know, sir, but you asked. She fiddled with a hanky in her hand for a few heartbeats before glancing at me shyly out of the corner of her eyes. Can I ask you a personal question, sir? Curious, I gave her my stock answer. You can ask, Miss Arione, but I reserve the right not to answer. Fair enough, sir. She twisted the hanky a couple more times before looking at me and asking, I know it's none of my business, but what happened between you and Chief Gearhart? I sighed and stared into my coffee cup, wondering how much to admit to. I was being an ass. She told me to stop. I did. I shrugged. There's not much more I can say. I could see her giving me a sideways look. You know she has a thing for you, Skipper. That's not what she said. Ms. Arione graced me with one of her exasperated looks before sighing and muttering, Men. I shrugged and stood. Well, be that as it may, I'll let you get on with your tear fest. I left her with what I hoped was a cheerful grin and took my coffee mug up to the bridge where I could sit in the captain's chair and stare out at the cold comfort of the ships around us and the deep dark beyond. Chapter 55 Diurnia Orbital, February 18, 2373 Mark and April Gerard sailed up the ramp just after 1000. Both in their late sixties, his short, wiry build radiated energy while her tall, stately grace exuded calm. Welcome aboard, I said, shaking hands and introducing myself. Thank you, Captain. Miss Gerard's mellow alto matched her stature. We're looking forward to the trip. Mr. Gerard grinned affably and pumped my hand. Call me Mark, Captain. Everybody does. If you'd come this way, I pointed to the ladder and led the way up. They were a curious couple. He looked around like he'd never seen the inside of a ship before, head moving in bright jerks, looking at everything with an almost bird-like curiosity. She glided along ahead of him, regal as a queen, mistress of all she surveyed, and no more interested in any of it than was proper and suitable to a lady of rank. Ms. Maloney waited for us at the top of the ladder, smiling as we approached and then flashing alarm when she saw the passengers behind me. April? Mark? Christine, my dear, we were so sorry to hear about your father. 
Ms. Gerard held out her hand as if Miss Maloney should kiss her ring, and when they shook, leaned in for the cheek kiss that some women give each other. When they stepped apart, Miss Gerard frowned. What are you doing here, my dear? Aren't you supposed to be halfway to Dunsany Roads? She looked at the haircut and ship suit. Don't tell me the gossip rags have something right for a change. She eyed me for a moment, and something like recognition dawned on her face. How interesting. For his part, Mr. Gerard merely leaned in, and giving her elbow a squeeze, gave her a peck on the cheek. It's wonderful to see you, Chris. Miss Maloney smiled back at him briefly before returning her attention to Miss Gerard. I am, and it's a long story. Let me show you to your compartment, and I'll fill you in. They headed down the passageway, leaving me standing at the top of the ladder. I wondered, briefly, if Ms. Maloney knew everybody in the quadrant, or merely a significant portion of the population who could afford to travel by fast packet. I hoped that would not be a problem. I went into the cabin to log the Gerards aboard, and figured that it was probably an advantage in the long run, although I made a note to run any future passengers by her before they got aboard. It only took a tick to log them in, and when I stepped back into the passage, I could see Ms. Maloney standing in the open door to compartment A, speaking to the couple inside. I went to the galley for coffee and wondered who our next passenger would be and whether our elaborate tap dance around Ms. Maloney's identity was for nothing. I waited for nearly a quarter stand before she came back to the galley with an amused, if somewhat harried, smile. This will be an interesting trip, Skipper. She muttered amiably enough and began to assemble a tray of coffee and small pastries, pulling a thermal carafe I didn't recognize out of a cabinet and mugs off the rack. She even had a small china creamer that she filled from a jug in the cooler. In less than two ticks, she took the loaded tray and disappeared down the passage again. I had to admire her foresight. The gods knew I had not considered getting the things we would need to serve passengers in their compartments. In hindsight, I probably should have, but it only served to reinforce my decision to move Ms. Maloney to the galley. I hoped she was studying for a ratings exam because she really deserved more pay. With a snort, I kicked myself out of the galley and headed back down to the lock. If at all possible, I didn't want our last passenger to have to use the klaxon. I still needed to figure out how to control that horrid noise. While being able to hear it anywhere on the ship was convenient, it was also deafeningly startling. Standing on the lock, I watched the people going by outside. It wasn't an activity I got to do much. Usually I was in too much of a hurry to go someplace myself. Men and women in ship suits, orbital coveralls and civvies passed back and forth. Some carried bundles, more were empty-handed. All moved briskly, their breath sometimes leaving puffs of fog in the air as they moved. I wondered where our last passenger was. I thought about my father and how crazy it was that we should find each other by accident across all the intervening space and time. We'd enjoyed a nice visit this trip, and I apologized for not spending more time with him. He admitted that he had followed me on the newsies now that he knew who I was. It still felt awkward, for both of us, I think, but it was getting better. Ms. Arione thought he was cute. At 11.15, just as I was about to write him off as a no-show, a handsome man in an impeccable brown suit walked up to the lock, towing a pair of grav trunks awkwardly behind him. I keyed it open before he pressed the call button. Hello. Are you Mr. Dubois? My name is Malcolm Dubois, yes. Welcome aboard, Mr. Dubois. I'm Captain Huang. I stepped back from the entry, but he stood there at the foot of the ramp, looking left and right down the docks. Finally, he called up to me. Is this the ship going to Greenfields? It is indeed, sir. If you'd come aboard, we can seal up and get ready to go. There must be some mistake, Captain. He said Captain like there was a bad taste of the word. I walked down the ramp to talk to him without shouting. It's possible, Mr. Dubois. What seems to be the problem? 
I was expecting a passenger ship. This is a freighter. Actually, sir, we're a fast packet. We carry a bit of cargo, true. We also have passenger compartments. Is there something the matter, Mr. Du Bois? He scowled at me. Something the matter? The fare for this fast packet is half again more than the next ship, and it's a freighter. And you ask me if there's something the matter? You're under no obligation to sail with us, sir, if you believe the accommodations are inadequate to your needs. I tried very hard to keep my voice level. I believe the next ship will have you in Greenfields by mid-April. He sniffed. That won't do. He sighed dramatically and looked at me and then at the ship. But fifteen kilocreds is piracy, Captain. Piracy! Ah, perhaps you'd like to negotiate the fare, Mr. Du Bois. I'm amenable to a bit of a haggle. How does twenty kilocreds sound? He scowled. What kind of game is this, Captain? I'm sorry, Mr. Du Bois. I thought you wanted to haggle over the price of your ticket. This is outrageous, Captain. Twenty is more than fifteen. Yes, Mr. Du Bois, and every moment we stand here freezing on the docks, I'm losing money. Would twenty-five sound better? I've already paid fifteen, Captain, and I don't appreciate your attitude. I'll happily refund your fare in full, Mr. Du Bois, but if you're going with us, I suggest you get aboard. I need to seal the lock so we can get underway on time. I turned and went back aboard, stopping at the top of the ramp. What about my luggage, Captain? Mr. Du Bois was not a happy passenger. Oh, by all means, bring it aboard, sir. I can open the cargo lock for you if you need it. He turned and looked at the pair of graph trunks behind him and back at me before picking up the control handle and towing them up the ramp, stomping loudly and banging his trunks into the safety rails. As soon as he cleared the ramp, I keyed the lock closed. Welcome aboard, Mr. Du Bois. If you'd follow me, I'll introduce you to our steward staff, and you can get settled. I turned and started up the ladder where Miss Maloney waited with an openly grinning Miss Arione. Mr. Du Bois stopped at the foot of the ladder and looked up. You can't be serious, Captain. You expect me to drag my trunks up that stairway? Is there no lift? I started to reply when I heard Miss Maloney call down, One moment, sir, we'll give you a hand. She nodded at Miss Arione, who shinnied down the ladder as soon as I'd cleared the top, and using the release on the deck, lowered the platform. Miss Maloney carefully didn't grin at me. You're such a people person, Captain. I didn't know you had it in you. I could barely hear her voice over the sound of the ladder sinking down and the pounding in my ears. I took a deep breath and blew it out. Not a good start, huh? Maybe you should let us do the meet and greet, she suggested with one cocked eyebrow. We watched Miss Arione chivy the grav trunks onto the platform, and with a much mollified Du Bois standing beside them, key the lift and raise them all up to where we stood. As he approached, and before he could continue his vituperation, Miss Maloney called to him. Welcome, Mr. Du Bois. I'm Catherine Maitland. Let me show you to your compartment. Her smoothly outstretched hand was shaking his even before the platform reached the top, and she drew him carefully onto the deck. Miss Arione will bring your trunk, sir. Please, just this way. She led him carefully down the passage and into compartment B. Miss Arione smirked as she maneuvered the grav trunks off the platform and down the passage behind them. I sighed and went to the galley, only to find the coffee pot empty. I started a fresh one and crossed back to the cabin, closing the door softly behind me so I wouldn't slam it. Cargo was so much easier to deal with than passengers. Or women. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artist. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. 
For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.